0: Thanks for
1: watching our podcast. Here at Spear Consulting, our services include business strategy and human resources consulting. In HR, we offer executive search, executive coaching, and work psychology consulting. Please visit us at spiritmco.com, where we fulfill our clients' dreams virtuously. Enjoy your show. Welcome back to the Leading Virtuously podcast. Today, we have Bishop Paprocki on the podcast. So excited to to have you today, Bishop. Can you answer our first question, which is, who are you?
0: Well, uh, first of all, great, Christopher, to be with you and all your viewers on your podcast. And uh, so to start out by saying hello and tell you a little bit about who I am. So I'm Bishop Thomas John Paprocki. I'm the ninth bishop of Springfield. Illinois that's the state capital of the state of Illinois here in uh, the center of the land of Lincoln and I've been here about 10 and a half years now I was installed in June of uh, 2010 and before that I was auxiliary bishop of the Archdiocese of Chicago uh, for seven years in fact I'm a native of Chicago I was born and raised uh, in Chicago and uh, then served as a priest in the Archdiocese of Chicago for for 25 years than before becoming a bishop and and coming here to Springfield.
1: Ten and a half years.
0: Yeah, hard to believe. It's gone by quickly.
1: (laughs) How how have you seen the the diocese grow under your leadership, Bishop?
0: Well, the area that I've seen uh, the the largest growth actually has been in vocations Hmm. uh, to the priesthood and religious life, which is something I've worked hard to do. Uh, we um, have been pushing for uh, vocations of the priesthood and religious life for, uh, for young men and women to become priests and nuns and religious brothers. And uh, so in the 10 years I've been here, I've ordained 30 priests now. Uh, and we, that's out of- Let's uh, go, 30, 30 priests, uh, that's awesome. We have 100 uh, diocesan priests uh, and about 30 religious order priests like Franciscans. But of the 100 diocesan priests, uh, about 25 of them are retired. So you might say we have about 75 active priests in the diocese. So ordaining 30 means I'm almost at the halfway point of the number of active priests that we have uh, serving as diocesan priests here. So that's great. Uh, last, this last uh, year, last spring, was the largest number I've had since I've been here. I ordained uh, eight priests, uh, and that's mm-hmm. the biggest number we've had since 1964. Wow. And we're very happy to, happy to see that. Uh, we also have uh, a, a sizable number of young women entering religious life uh, with a community here in Alton, Illinois, which is just across the Mississippi River from, from St. Louis, and they're they're called the Sisters of St. Francis of the Martyr St. George, mm-hmm. and uh, they're seeing an, uh, an increase in vocations. A lot of young women are joining that community, so we're very blessed with that uh, as well. Well, what's your secret to success, Bishop? Well, I just talk about it a lot, and uh, you know, I think it's important that uh, as bishop, I uh, make that a, a very conscious effort. And so, I talk to people about it, and I ask my priests and uh, and our parishioners to be very, uh, very conscious about about it. Uh, we, in fact, we have here at our pastoral center little posters that say, uh, 440, at four forty p.m." And every day at 440, everyone is asked to say Hail Mary for vocations.
1: Oh, and
0: uh, the reason for that is uh, a few years ago, I set a goal that we we hope to be able to have 40 seminarians for our diocese uh, every year. And uh, so we're working towards that. Our uh, So praying at 440 every day for 40 seminarians. Uh, so that you know, prayer and talking about it. And um, I do something every other year called an Andrew dinner. And it takes its name from St. Andrew, who um, was the brother of St. Peter. Uh, But actually the uh, Bible tells us that uh, it was Andrew that brought his brother Peter uh, to Jesus. So uh, Mm -hmm. the first Pope, St. Peter, would have never heard about Jesus if it wasn't for his brother, Andrew. So these Andrew dinners uh, where I I have uh, priests inviting uh, prospects, as we call them, those that are prospective seminarians, uh, to come and, and have dinner. And a conversation with me to talk about priesthood and the possibility, uh, and just to put that out there. So, you know, we've been doing it every year for an Andrew dinner. or that We have a series of dinners actually that we we'll do throughout the diocese. We we'll get about fifty prospects, and we get a good number of our, our uh, seminarians have come from those Andrew dinners. So, we're trying to be very intentional about it. That uh, you know, we do have to rely on God's grace, but we also have to make efforts ourselves and uh, and talk about it and make sure that. Um, this is uh, out there in terms of the message being put in front of people to hear.
1: Well, thank you for sharing. And and that's uh, quite an inspiring story as well, the, the way you've been able to build out vocations in your diocese. And Bishop, before the show, we were talking about our audience being a collection of people from different faith walks. And for those that don't understand what a bishop is, can you maybe talk a little bit about the hierarchy of who you report to and how that you know, leads up to the Pope, and then as well as um, discussing as well, bottom-down leadership, meaning how many direct reports do you have, and then how many total employees uh, are reporting into your leadership.
0: All right, so uh, a bishop uh, comes from a word in Latin, which comes from a word in Greek, episcopus, which means uh, an overseer. So uh, a bishop, in a sense, is a supervisor, an overseer, and it uh, has its roots in the early Christian uh, church. Basically, as as the church spread, uh, the first bishops So the first overseers of the church were were the twelve apostles, and so a bishop is considered to be a successor of the apostles. Hmm. And uh, the apostle, the word apostle, again from the Greek, comes from a word that means to be sent out. So bishops are sent out uh, all over the world. So every um, Every country, uh, every state is broken down into smaller units, uh, like just like in a country, you have states and counties and cities and towns. Uh, in the church, we have, uh, uh, we have dioceses, we have provinces, which should be the equivalent of a state. So like here in our state of Illinois is also a province in the church. And then within that, we have six dioceses, which would be like regional uh, churches. So the Diocese of Springfield in L- Illinois uh, territorially, is 28 counties here in the center of, of the state, and basically, I, I oversee this uh, area. So every every diocese would have a bishop in charge of it, who is basically the CEO. And I think it's uh, it is uh, accurate to use that term because basically, I'm overseeing uh, an organization. We uh, like um, like many other uh, organizations, uh, like any organization, we have people. And we have buildings and we have property and we have salaries and so there's a lot that that uh, goes into in fact when I became a bishop I decided to go to business school and uh, I I was a student in the executive uh, MBA program at the University of Notre Dame and their executive program up in Chicago and uh, with some of our weeks also in South Bend but uh, you know basically to be leading uh, a group like like this uh, uh, I have 129 parishes Uh, spread across uh, 28 counties and about 125,000 Catholics uh, within that area. Each parish uh, is uh, somewhat, uh, I I guess to use a business model would be almost like a subsidiary corporation. So I don't run the individual parishes, but they are accountable uh, to me as the bishop of the diocese. And then um, every bishop uh, is actually accountable to the Pope. So I was appointed uh, bishop by Uh, I was appointed first as auxiliary bishop in Chicago by Pope uh, John Paul II in 2003, and then it was uh, Pope Benedict XVI, who is now retired, but in 2010, he appointed me here to Springfield. There's a whole process uh, that goes into that where names are served as bishops and priests and others can submit names to the Pope's representative in Washington, D.C., who then puts together... um, a portfolio with background information about each of the candidates that gets sent to Rome uh, to a department called the Congregation for Bishops, and they sort through the names further. And then for every opening, uh, they send three names up to the Pope. And so it's actually the Pope that appoints a bishop, but uh, all those names are generated uh, for him uh, to review. So ultimately, I'm accountable to the Pope. Uh, I do that. That accountability is actually exercised through an Archbishop in Washington, D.C., who's like the Pope's ambassador to the United States. So um, I only have direct contact with the Pope every few years like we did in December of 2019. Every bishop is supposed to meet with the Pope uh, every, every five years or so. So we met with him in December of 2019, the bishops of our region. But on a, on a more routine basis, my contact would be with the Pope's representative in, uh, in Washington, D.C., um, who's Archbishop, uh, Christophe Pierre. So, you know, the church is actually, you might say a multinational, uh, corporation. It's, uh, you know, it's all under the direction of the Holy Father who oversees, uh, uh, you know, a worldwide church of a billion Catholics. And, uh, and so the whole world is divided up geographically into these units of provinces and, and dioceses. And, uh, so I remember some years ago, Peter Drucker, who was, uh, uh, a management uh, uh, consultant. He uh, he pointed to the Catholic Church as a good model of uh, of organizational uh, uh, structure and leadership. You know, we've been around for two thousand years, but in some ways, the oldest uh, uh, ongoing organization, uh, and and it is an organization that uh, has been going on and and uh, is managing. Some might question how efficiently we do that, but I think the fact that we're here after uh, two thousand years and still going, I think, is a tribute to the. Uh, the organizational structure that uh, Jesus put in place himself with the 12 apostles.
1: I love it. Well, thank you. And that definitely helps to, for people that uh, don't understand the hierarchy and structure and the way that the church is organized and structured, I think that is a, a beautiful summary. And you said 125,000 uh, individuals in your diocese, whoo, that's, a, that's, that's a, a lot of souls that uh, is under your responsibility. So that, thank you so much for helping us just better understand kind of the breadth of your leadership too. So, so Bishop, where does business and virtue intersect for you?
0: Well, for me, uh, virtue, I think, is something that's, that's very important. Um, virtues are contrasted with the vices. So vices are, are bad habits and virtues good habits. Basically, it's what the the definition of a virtue is. It's a a good habit. And so I think to be a virtuous leader means to develop uh, good habits. And uh, a virtue is is not necessarily always uh, simply a a religious uh, attribute. So yes, there are virtues that uh, are religious in terms of, uh, for example, being uh, devout or being prayerful Uh, And as a bishop, certainly that's an important part of my virtue. It's a habit, uh, in fact, for me to pray every day. It's an expectation. Every priest, when he's ordained, makes a promise to pray what's called the liturgy of the hours. And the liturgy of the hours, as the name suggests, is that at different hours of the day, like morning prayer, uh, midday prayer, evening prayer, night prayer, our day is sort of punctuated with prayer. And so uh, that becomes a habit, you know, every day. I have mass and I have my prayers. And if I don't do that, it's like, well, I've, I've missed something uh, that's very important. So uh, it becomes a routine in a sense, not that it's something that you, you do without thinking about it, but it's something that is part of your routine that your day would not feel right if you didn't do it. And, and so, uh, you, you know, in that sense, it's, uh, it's, a, ha- it's a daily habit. Um, but as I said, not, not all virtues are necessarily religious virtues. There's a lot of, uh, secular virtues as well. For example, one of the virtues that I've been working on, uh, in, uh, recent months is the virtue of cheerfulness, you Mm -hmm. know, and I think that's a, that's a basic human virtue, but I think especially in these, uh, times of, uh, the coronavirus pandemic and COVID that, you know, there's just a lot of things that can be very discouraging and, uh, and uh, actually, um, from our Christian perspective, we see discouragement as a temptation that comes from the devil. He wants us to be sad or discouraged about things. And so it's important uh, not to give in to that. And as a leader, I think it's also very uh, very important to be a person who's cheerful and encourages others because people look up to us for leadership. and uh, you know, if we are downcast, if we come across as sad or discouraged, uh, that's not going to help motivate uh, the people who work for us and work with us. So uh, the other thing is to remember that, uh, you know, if you're having a bad day, there's a good chance that the people you're encountering are also having a bad day. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, if you can be cheerful and smile and, and try to say something uh, you know, joyful to them, hopefully that will, will help lift up uh, their day as well. I used to think sometimes that, uh, you know, if you're in a bad mood, and you're trying to be cheerful. That that's uh, hypocritical. You know, if you're if you're grumpy and you're trying to be cheerful, like, well, are you being a hypocrite because you're really fe- feeling grumpy, but you're trying to be cheerful? But the more I've thought about it, uh, I, I see that virtue of cheerfulness as a form of mortification. But to mortify yourself is to die to yourself. And so, uh, what I mean by that is, if I'm feeling um, uh, in a bad mood. In a way, it's self-indulgent to give into that and say, okay, I'm grumpy, so I'm going to make everybody else's day miserable, (laughs) you know, but uh, it's mortification to say, no, I'm going to die to my own uh, bad feelings today. I'm going to try to lift up my feelings with God's help. I'm going to try to be happy, joyful, and cheerful, and then communicate that uh, to other people. So I think that's an important virtue again, just a simple example of basically a human virtue uh, that everybody can do.
1: Awesome. Yeah. And, and that one seems like it's a pretty uh, practical one to, to be able to break that down of the, the thought and, and and what it is and then how to actually live that out in your daily life. But can you maybe even drive that even home further to g- maybe give us some examples of where you felt like you were grumpy and then you forced yourself to be cheerful and how that impacted either yourself or others around you in those scenarios?
0: Well, I think even, even something like going into a meeting and uh, maybe you, you don't feel like um, you necessarily, maybe you don't even want to be with, around people at the moment. You're just, you're, you'd rather be alone and here you've got a meeting and you've got a room full of people and you're going to be on uh, for that meeting. Uh, and so you can go into that meeting. Okay. All right. So you first of all, you have to psych yourself up to it as, okay, I'm going to go into this meeting. I'm going to be the leader and I'm going to try to make this meeting work. Uh, but then what's the attitude that you bring into that meeting? Are you come into that meeting where you're going to be gruff and you're going to be kind of barking at people and, uh, you know, uh, somebody gives a report and then you're going to criticize them and make them feel bad. I mean, yeah, there's a place for correction and, and uh, you know, for, uh, you know, pointing out where people need to improve. But there's also, I think, a time and a place for that. So when you're in a public meeting in front of other people, you're going to try to be cheerful. You're going to try to be affirming. You know, somebody gives a report, you try to give a positive uh, response to them and be affirming. So, uh, you know, I, I just think there are uh, a lot of opportunities like that, you know, it could be a meeting, it could be just simply a one-on-one uh, a, a conversation that you have with, with somebody. It could be a passing conversation. You get in an elevator and, uh, you know, you to be in the elevator and you're just, you know, somebody says hello and you just kind of grunt at them. <laughs> you know, whereas or, or they say hello and you say hello back, you smile. And I mean, these are little things, but these little things, uh, I think, uh, can really um, go a long way in our interactions with, with people. Yeah, and especially with,
1: with the, the state of affairs with COVID, you know, everyone's wearing masks. People aren't hugging one another People aren't smiling. They might be smiling, but you you have no way well, of being able to even recognize that. So if you're going out of your way to be cheerful, uh, I think that can be a very powerful both testimony, um, but then also just a way to to love other people. Um, so that that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that, Bishop. In, in in a prior interview, you had mentioned that as of August, your schools have uh, gone back. To being in person. So I wanted to, I know that's probably wasn't an easy decision for you to make. And as leaders, oftentimes we have to make, you know, that's why we're the leaders, because we're willing to make the hard decisions. So I I wanted to kind of just ask you, can you walk us through kind of like the steps that you went through in order to to make that decision? And then what impact has that had on your diocese?
0: Well, I think it's very important uh, for leaders to uh, hear a wide range of opinions and to uh, weigh what people are are saying. So yes, a, a leader has to be decisive, but um, before coming to a decision, you have to make sure that you have uh, the right information. And uh, so that was some, that was something that when I was Chancellor of the Archdiocese of Chicago under Cardinal uh, Joseph Bernadine, who was the Archbishop who appointed me as Chancellor, and then when when he died of cancer in 1996, he was succeeded by Cardinal Francis George. And I think especially from Cardinal Bernadine, he was uh, he was a master at consulting with other people. Uh, there's, there's a balance there too. I mean, you, you can't, uh, at some point you have to make a decision. And uh, so you can't just keep asking for advice because you'll get different opinions. And so at some point you have to weigh those opinions and, and come down on, on whichever side you're gonna make your decision. But the example to reopen schools, for example, to this day, there are people that with different opinions on that. And uh, as our Catholic schools uh, around the nation have been open pretty much since August, and I think we've done pretty successfully with that, uh, public schools continue to debate that issue and, and many of them are still uh, locked down and, and, and teaching only uh, online or virtually. But uh, when we made the decision, we were uh, getting input from experts. You know, you hear the you hear the uh, admonition to follow the science, and that is important when you're dealing with with something like an epidemic or a, or a pandemic. And uh, but follow the science. There are lots of different kinds of science, and so uh, you know people will say follow the science, and they may be thinking only of the epidemiologists, while the You know, that's one branch of science. It's an important branch if you're dealing with a pandemic. Uh, But if you're asking an epidemiologist what you need to do to avoid the spread of germs, of course, they're going to tell you to shut everything down and avoid having contact with people. That's the safest way to do that. But if you ask other scientists, for example, child psychologists or pediatricians, what's the best way for children to learn? And is it safe to reopen schools? Uh, we've gotten some very different opinions on that. There was, uh, in fact, there was uh, an, um, a report done on NBC News uh, last summer that interviewed five uh, pediatricians across the country, independently of each other. And this was before our schools were reopening. And they asked them, is it safe for the, ch- uh, for the schools to reopen? And each one said, absolutely, yes. And the interviewer, I remember, even made it more pointed. said, well, For your own children, would you send your children back to school? And uh, and they said again, absolutely yes. Why? Because first of all, children do not seem to be very susceptible uh, to COVID, and uh, nor are they. Uh, do they seem to be uh, uh, high transmitters of, of COVID? And uh, so, then in that sense, the safety uh, seems to. Uh, you know, we even what we still take our precautions with having students and teachers wearing masks and safe distancing. So you. And, and cleaning uh, and disinfecting uh, desks and chairs, for example. So you, we're taking all the proper precautions. But also uh, uh, what the child psychologists and the pediatricians are saying is um, we have to be mindful of how children learn. And especially small children uh, are not going to learn by sitting in front of a computer screen all day. Uh, first of all, to, just to have the discipline and not to be restless and, you know, to keep, keep a young child in front of a computer screen is, is quite a challenge. But then uh, it's also what, what are children learning in early childhood education? It's not just book learning or having someone lecture to you um, on a Zoom call. Uh, a lot of uh, what children are learning is social learning, hmm. the interaction with each other, how they relate to each other, how they relate to their teacher and how the teacher relates to them. Uh, that's a big part of the learning experience. And then the other reality is that uh, young people have so much energy, you know, and they need outlets for that, that energy. So uh, that relates to the sports world and, and ways that uh, we can have our, our young people uh, engaging in some kind of sports and athletic activities so that they can have uh, outlets uh, for their energies as well as for their needs to socialize with each other. So I would say basically it's gone very well. Um, we even when we've had some isolated cases, uh, generally we keep our classes separated from each other. So if there's someone in a particular class uh, that is either diagnosed uh, with COVID or exposed to someone with COVID, we can quarantine that class uh, for the designated period of time and have them go online without having to shut down the whole school. Um, and even uh, if you have to, you know, you'll know, you go quarantine or, or uh, or isolate people, you just do that for a period of time. But you, we have not had to to shut down the the whole a whole school or a whole system uh, to do that. So it does sound
1: like you guys have had some cases that you've had to deal with. I know in our in our school district here in District 181 in the southwest suburbs of Chicago, they basically allowed parents the the choice um, to either do fully remote or to do partially remote where it's, you know, a hybrid between either morning in class and then afternoon remote um, or vice versa. And we chose to do the, the uh, hybrid and it's worked out wonderfully, uh, you know, neither kids, either, well, both my wife and I both have an ed COVID, and the, um, our two boys, also, same thing, uh, haven't had COVID as well. So, so that's been good. But, you know, there have been a couple emails that have gone out saying, okay, just FYI, there was a third grade boy, either there's someone in the third grade that's had COVID or this teacher, et cetera, but same thing. They haven't had to, they closed it down. Uh, and then furthermore, uh, starting in April, I think they've taken a they took a poll to find out what people's choices were, and I think the decision is to go fully back into school um, starting in April, or the second choice is to to go uh, fully remote and then fully in school too. So, so yeah, so it's it's interesting, but I, I love that that uh, you know the the decision making process that you took us through, and that's wonderful to hear the uh, success that you've had because I know you know, as you mentioned, I think one of the things that has been so crystal clear (laughs) for a lot of parents is how much energy young kids have. And, and when you're trying to do work, in addition to trying to educate kids and, and, and then especially like with this, uh, just the crazy winter that we've had, it it becomes tough. And so, so encouraged to see uh, leaders like yourself that May have been going a little bit different than than uh, how other people had been uh, making the decisions, but in the way that it, it worked out for you guys as well, that's
0: that's well. Better. It's also important not only uh, getting the data and and making a decision before you make the decision, but also get feedback uh, afterwards in terms of how it's going. So if you're if you make a decision like reopening schools, and the feedback is that you know um, people are reluctant to come and they're uh, anxious and they're questioning the decision well then maybe you have to rethink it but actually our experience has been that the feedback's been very positive I never thought I'd heard children talking about how happy they are to be in school uh, <laughs> uh, you know, after being cooped up at Gotta home. look for those little
1: uh, blessings right? Yeah I mean they're
0: they're saying we're they're, they're thrilled to be back in school uh, parents the teachers they're all they're all very uh, positive on our reopening the school so uh, we take that as a sign of affirmation and we're continuing to go down that road.
1: Excellent. So uh, Bishop, what are you the most passionate about in life right now? And what gets you excited about the future?
0: Well, one of the things I I think um, as a leader uh, that's been very important for me throughout my life, and I think continues to be no matter what your age is, talking about education, I I think a leader has to always be open to learning uh, more. And, uh, and, and that, uh, that thirst for knowledge, uh, you know, I think if a person says, well, I finished my education, I know everything I need to know. uh, That's when you're, you're in trouble. You know, I think uh, the more I've uh, uh, been in school and the more I've studied, the more I find out what I don't know, uh, which just adds. Well,
1: you haven't done that much education though, Bishop.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I can describe that a little bit. So, I mean, after, well, first of all, seminary requires uh, basically, well, as a political science major at Loyola University in Chicago, major seminary in Mundelein, which is basically to get a master's degree in divinity, master of divinity. Um, and then after that, after I was ordained, uh, I decided to go to law school. And so I went to DePaul University College of Law. Uh, not that I was looking so much to become a lawyer as I described it as a tool for ministry. I wanted to help the poor. And I thought a law degree would, would help me to do that. And, uh, so I actually, uh, helped to co-found the Chicago legal clinic to provide legal services for the poor. And, uh, and then Cardinal Bernadine, uh, had me doing some work for him at the chancery office and it became more in canon law. So, uh, more, more canon law than civil law. So he actually sent me to Rome and I got a doctorate in canon law. And then, uh, as I mentioned earlier, um, uh, when I became a bishop, I uh, decided to go back to school to get a business degree, and got my MBA from the University of Notre Dame. So, uh, so even even with that, uh, I don't I don't plan to go back to school uh, anymore at this point. Um, I, I consider my ac- my formal academic training finally finished. Uh, although my my, <laughs> little, my younger sister uh, questioned me on that, she said, "I don't believe you." She said, I'm to going to medical school now." <laughs> but no, I, um, you no, know, I don't. At this point, I don't see my myself going back into a formal academic program. I think I've got enough degrees, but uh, but that thirst for knowledge is is still there, and uh, you know that uh, I think that's a, a very crucial factor for uh, leaders to have because people are are looking to us for knowledge. But as I said, um, the more I've studied, the more I realize what I don't know, and, and I think a good leader then also will recognize that uh, there's maybe an area of expertise that he or she does not have. And then you look for someone who has that expertise. And so, as I was saying earlier, in terms of consulting before you make a decision, uh, no matter how many degrees you have, if you're coming up on making a decision and you're finding out, well, there's some data here that I just don't have, I don't know. And I think uh, the very honest answer that a good leader should be humble enough to make is say, I don't know. Uh, you, 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 can't be expected to know everything. And so if somebody asks you something and say, well, I don't know, but I'll look into that. And before making a decision to make sure that you consult with people who have more expertise. And, um, frankly, I'm not threatened by that. I like to surround myself with smart people. And, uh, I know some leaders maybe want to feel like they're the smartest person in the room. And, uh, you know, they, they feel threatened by other people that are smart. I'm, I'm just the opposite. I'm, I'm humbled. I try to be humble enough to say that I may not be the smartest person in the moon in the room. Uh, but if someone else has the expertise, I'm, I'm happy to, uh, to have them share that with me.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And, and yeah, I, I think one of the, um, as I as I think about you as a, as an individual, I mean, one of the things that I see as as one of your key strengths is discipline. You're one of the most disciplined people I've ever met in my entire life, and you've inspired me in so many ways, and and so encouraged by the wisdom that you've been able to share with the with the podcast and and our audience as well. So, Bishop, how can people get a hold of you? And then, can you also close us out in prayer?
0: Sure. Well, uh, you can reach me. Uh here at the Diocese of Springfield in Illinois. And our our mailing address is 1615 West Washington Street in Springfield, Illinois, 62702. Uh, We have a website, uh, which is pretty easy to remember. It's www.dio.org. And so, Dio, you could take a couple of ways. It's either an abbreviation for diocese, or if you're Italian, uh, Dio in Italian means God. (laughs) so it's it's just uh, dio.org and um, uh, our email here you can reach me through bishop's office uh, at dio.org so uh, and our central phone number here uh, for our diocesan pastoral center is 217-698-8500 so a lot of different ways uh, to to reach me if you want to get in touch with me somehow
1: great well thank you bishop Uh, thanks again for being on the podcast and Uh, Thank you as well for closing us out in prayer.
0: Very good. Let us pray. Dear God, we come to you with thanksgiving for the ways that you help us to grow, to continue to increase in wisdom and knowledge through the grace of your Holy Spirit. We ask you to help us to be uh, good leaders and to do the best that we can in all that we think and say and do uh, as we uh, lead your people in service and fulfillment of your will we ask this through christ our lord and may almighty god bless you the father and the son and the holy spirit
1: amen amen thank you father that's wonderful well and uh look forward to continuing the dialogue with you and thank you for being a part of the podcast too you're welcome god bless hey chris here Hope you enjoyed the episode where we discussed all things going bald. (laughs) Just joking. The Leading Virtuously podcast. If you enjoyed the episode and the podcast, will you please subscribe on YouTube or Apple Podcasts or Spotify? Or you could also share it with a friend. That would be tubular. I hope you have an awesome day.